Welcome to DocuTalks, a podcast about documentaries mostly from Netflix. Chelsea and Michelle may be from two different generations, but they both share a passion for talks of true crime, murder, and documentaries with flair. Join these chatty bitches while they dish the latest hot documentary on DocuTalks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DocuTalks. This episode, we're covering Take Your Pills. So I hope you had a chance to watch the documentary. It was quite interesting. Um, but before we get into it, I just wanted to give a shout out to some of our listeners. I checked our demographics this week, and I want to give a shout out to the people in Russia, the Netherlands, and Israel. I'm not sure how you found us, but I'm glad you've tuned in. I hope you're enjoying the show. And certainly, I want to thank everybody who's been tuning in and listening. We certainly really, really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. It's just amazing to see our demographics and see people listening. And we hit 100 followers officially today on our Instagram account. So that's pretty big for us as well. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Okay, so usually we start with what we're listening to or watching, um, but I'm going to go a little bit off script here, listeners. You may have noticed usually every episode, Chelsea has no sympathy for somebody, but she liked all the people in Game Changer. But then after we finished the podcast and we were chatting afterwards, I became the one she had no sympathy for because I was saying how hard it is for me to manage a vegan diet and she had no sympathy for me. I told her how I'm like gone from the house 11, 12 hours a day. She didn't care. So that's why I was not able to watch or listen to anything this week because I had to make these vegan meals. Well, I didn't eat totally vegan, but I tried to only eat meat once a day, which is kind of a big thing for me. But I had to make all these salads and vegan meals because Chelsea was shaming me last week after the podcast. So just in case you thought she lost her edge, she did not. To be fair, listeners, I wasn't shaming her per se, as I was trying to give her some helpful guidance on how to make it easier to meal prep. And, you know, because I also am out of the house 10 to 12 hours a day. Sometimes I work 16 hours a day, surprising, I know, as a teacher and all, but... So Michelle and I both work a lot, and so I was trying to give her some tips and tricks that I found helpful as somebody who also is quite busy and does all the cooking in the house. And is quite a lot younger than me and probably has a lot more energy, but, you know, the shame continues, so there we go. (laughs) You just heard it, listeners. Oh, I feel so bad now. Let me just, like, go lick my wounds. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, however, I'm going to stick to the script and talk about what I've been reading. And, um, oh my goodness, I'm actually reading quite a few really good books right now. I caught a really good sale on the weekend, so I'm stocked up, even though my library does not need any more books in it. However, one book that I read was Educated by Tara Westover. And so she's born into a religious extremist survivalist kind of family that lives in the mountains of Idaho. And she didn't have any formal education until she was 17. So this story is just so remarkable. It's an incredible story about how a person is trying to find their place in the world, especially someone who comes from such an isolated family. Um, And then 
also like it really was empowering to me because it was about a child's desire to learn and to be educated because she was completely self-educated as a child with no parental help and she became accepted she was accepted into university at 17 and then ultimately became a very successful academic she went on to Oxford which is just incredible half the time I was reading the book I was just I had to keep putting it down and being like oh my god is this real like how did this happen and I I I just love these extremist Mormon stories. It is interesting. Some Mm -hmm. people are very resilient. Oh, yes. And her whole family, like her, she had a very large family, like several brothers and sisters. And two of her brothers were also exceptionally gifted and went on to quite illustrious careers because of their own love of self-education really remarkable and yeah it just reminds me of what we can really do if we actually put down our cell phones and do something yes like Like prepping your food for a vegan diet exactly (laughs) see you just have to spend a few less hours listening to you know my 90 day fiance podcast oh oh I know. I I listen to that on the way to work though I must say that's usually my my podcast in the car so overall thoughts on the episode, Michelle, do you want to go first? Sure. So I found this very interesting, just the high amount of prescription drugs given out to people with apparent ADD and then the abuse for it in recreational use. I never heard of Adderall when I was younger, so this was new to me. It's incredible to me that people feel the need to take it to compete and have that upper edge and that whole competition in society. So I remember being in university when Adderall kind of hit the school and I was in my third year of university when I kind of knew something and it changed and I noticed several of my classmates were taking some kind of stimulant, especially around exam time. There was definitely talk about it, things like that. And I was quite naive then definitely more like more interested in just drinking and and doing that kind of stuff than finding a competitive um, edge although I would have totally been on board if someone had been like hey Chelsea you want to take some Adderall it'll help you be a better student I would have been like yes so um yeah I really wish I tried it (laughs) yeah but I actually looked it up to see if it was legal in Canada because I hadn't really heard of it So they said the Adderall, like the fast acting Adderall is not legal in Canada, but the slow acting one is. So I think a lot of these people are probably taking more of the fast acting one that hits you really quickly. So we don't have that option here. Um, Just because we don't have that option through the doctors doesn't mean it's not coming in somewhere. You'd have yeah, to it get a, it out of country. Like you wouldn't be able to get it hmm. in Canada because it's not prescribed here. So no, I definitely. Available. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if people were like smuggling it and selling it on the street yeah. at all. Yeah. But there was definitely something going on, and so my partner and I are around the same age. He's a year younger than me, and I asked him the same thing, and he said it was like kind of exactly the same. He he really started hearing about it near the end of our time in university, and that kind of. That matches your uh, timeline, not to have any spoilers. Yes, listeners. The timeline is back. This episode back by popular demand. I thought I'm going to do just a short little timeline here. I have to ask first, who's popular demand? (laughs) The listeners, the universe. 
For sure. I bet they were emailing you personally. Yes, they were. Let's just do a brief summary. So 1929, that's when amphetamine was developed. Well, they were trying to discover an allergy medication. So, of course, they needed a medical use for it because that's how you make all the money. So that became the mm-hmm. prescription benzodrine. And then 1937, first article in Time magazine about students abusing drugs to study called PEP, which was the benzodrine. I was a little surprised about that, actually. And yeah. then World War II, British and American military started studying it. And after the war, it was used as an antidepressant as well as dexedrine, also used for weight control. 1944, methylphenidate was developed, Ritalin, and that was developed for this scientist's wife to play better tennis and keep her weight off. I love that it was named after her, Rita Lynn, and then they took the E off and it became Ritalin. Fascinating. I love love the history of shit. That was interesting. And then 1960s, amphetamine consumption soared, led to the Controlled Substance Act in 1969, and amphetamine became a Schedule II controlled substance requiring a prescription. So production became strictly limited, especially 1972 was limited. And 1980 changed from minimal brain dysfunction, which was what they originally classified it as to get this Ritalin to inattention coming up with ADD. 1996, Adderall introduced on the market. 1990, 600,000 children were on stimulants, but by 2011, 3.5 million children were on stimulants, one third diagnosed with ADHD before the age of six. It's incredible. Oh, yeah, it just makes me so angry. (laughs) Yes, it makes me angry, too. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to look at that history of ADD, ADHD, because in the beginning, and I I would still say even now, there's no real definitive test, especially to begin with. Basically, they just put you on the drugs and see if it works. But basically, everybody on the drugs are going to do better. Exactly. it, It doesn't really help, does it? Right. So my problem is with this is a lot of times the doctors are just going by what parents say. And that's very subjective. Right. The parents are just going to go in there and say, you know, my kid doesn't listen half the time. And they'll say, okay, we'll just try them with this medication and see how it goes. Uh, It really it's just mind boggling because at the end of the day, children are very excitable. They're exuberant. They're full of energy. If anything, it's very unnatural for them to have to concentrate for a long period of time, sit still for a long period of time. Like, that's a very learned skill. And I think we take that for granted. Like, the whole idea of ADD and ADHD has just completely negated what a child is really supposed to be like. We just give them a label and because they're not fitting in that box we want them to fit into. And it is so subjective to their teacher their parent and like so many parents can't handle having children so no wonder so many kids are medicated because their kids they just want their kids calm and subdued yeah and they don't really necessarily want to put 
the work into them. Like I read this article one time about these grandparents that got these two granddaughters. I think they were girls and they were diagnosed with ADD and they were on medication. And obviously they were removed from the mom's care. I forget why, but the grandparents got them on like a routine, got them on a healthy diet, got them involved with sports and they just excelled and got off the medication because, you know, that's it's that kind of structure and routine and good diet and exercise. And so many parents aren't really taking their kids to the park anymore, aren't no. really doing much with them. Right. And look at what ha- what's happened in education. Like we've gone away from that hands on play based model of learning to very scripted sit in your desk. You're doing like lots of different type of learning that's just not conducive for young children, although, you know, that that is changing and it is very different from country to country. So it's hard to just stereotype like that. But we have seen it. Kids don't have recess anymore or very short prescription recesses where they're not really allowed to play or do many things. And that's a huge problem. And it was crazy to me how they were able to the adults or, you know, late teens were able to get prescriptions without much issue, like the NFL player and the high school student that was happy to get them before her SAT so that she would hopefully do well. Well, of course, like I really find because this obviously was an American documentary. And I find, especially in the States, it's very easy to get those doctors who are known prescribers of things because they're getting heaps of money from pharmaceutical companies. And also you're probably paying high premiums to see that doctor. I think that just speaks again to the privilege of the rich, right? And how it's Mm -hmm. easy for them to get this medication, get a prescription for it and get that edge up which just keeps people in poverty, in poverty over generation and generation, because they're not being able to get this edge up. They're not being able to find the correct doctor that's going to be able to give them the prescription. Well, exactly. Like, I don't know anyone who wouldn't want a leg up. Like, even watching this documentary, I was like, yeah, I could use some of those benefits. Yeah, for sure. I would love to, like, come on. Michelle, if we were on Ritalin, we'd be able to come home and do our meal planning and like do all of our all of our work and not be tired and have plenty of energy. I would actually exercise probably, you know, like it'd be amazing. It's like the wonder drug. I know I asked my doctor for it, but he said no. So I went in there and I said, I think I need some Adderall. And he's like, no, you can't have it. That's hysterical. Well, like, yeah. so you'll remember me as a child. I was very, like, hyperactive, as many yeah. people would say. Like, I was an only child, very hyperactive, very, you know, just really high energy, wanted to always be doing things, things like that. And, like, heaps of times my parents would be told that I need to be medicated or there was something wrong with me. And, my, and thankfully, my parents never medicated me, although I wonder what it would have been like if they had of. And I think it's it's very important, like, just because you're not fitting into that mold doesn't mean you need medication. And, like, you need to teach your kids coping skills. And that's what my parents did. Like, they put me in sports. They kept me busy. They had a very good routine, like you were saying. And I think if we're not teaching these kids coping mechanisms and how to manage themselves, like, that's the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't know. I could have been one of those successful Ritalin stories, though. Come on, that would have been great. <laughs> 
Okay, so we're going to talk about the school system and the need for medication. So obviously, um, I'm a teacher, I've talked about this many times. And um, this was an American, an American documentary, I'm teaching in New Zealand right now. So and I haven't taught in Canada as of yet. So I don't really know what it's like in Canada. I do know what it's like in New Zealand. So maybe you can shed some light in Canada. Not sure. But so this is from my personal point of view from what I've experienced in education so far. Um, But I just find the school system like they're trying to do their best. Bless them for this. They just want to help the kids. I do get where they're coming from. But they've gotten tunnel vision about diagnosing children with learning needs so that they can help them and they can get that teacher aid time for them. And, you know, the grant money and blah, 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 blah. Because at the end of the day, everyone wants the children succeeding where they should be succeeding. So I can see where this mindset come from. But, oh, my freaking God, like I would sit in staff meetings and it would be like every single child in the school has a learning need or something that we could diagnose. And anytime you raise a question like, oh, you know, I'm noticing like I'm having this problem with this student and they're just like, I'm not getting their reading accelerated where they need to be. Oh, well, maybe they're dyslexic. Maybe they have dyspraxia. Maybe they have audio processing disorder. Not every child has something wrong with them. And so I really think that it's so easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, that kid has ADD. That kid has ADHD. Let's just give them the medication they need and they'll be like on the right So I think that's where that's kind of come from is that over the need to just figure out what's wrong with these kids. And it's almost become like an obsession. And when you look hard enough, any child could have something wrong with them. However, I really don't like I haven't come across many children that have ADD and ADHD diagnoses. And we don't really talk about that. And I have never taught a medicated child. So but whereas... The education system in New Zealand do lots of hands-on learning. We are outside playing. They're getting dirty. They're rough and tumble. Like they have playgrounds that would be illegal in North America. (laughs) These kids are doing stuff and they're getting hurt and they're getting dirty and like they're experiencing life. And most of them play sports, you know, things like that. So, but honestly, I have never... I go through my students' files all the time. I have never come across one that's been flagged as ADD, ADHD. I don't teach a single child that has Ritalin or Adderall prescribed to them. And that's something we never talk about. We're always focused on, like, dyslexia, audio processing disorder, like, things like that. And so it's really funny to me that um, New Zealand, I read one one of your comments later on that, like, New Zealand's allowed to advertise for medication for the Ritalin. But whereas yeah. I didn't, we never talk about it in schools. No, I think in Canada, I think we have a lot of kids diagnosed with ADD and ADHD. And I think so many parents d- want that diagnosis so they can get them on the pills to make their life easier. Oh, now, I haven't worked in the schools necessarily. I've worked in children's mental health a lot. And certainly I remember in the 90s, lots of kids being on Ritalin and getting this kind of diagnosis. And I feel like it just becomes more and more common. Now you hear a lot more about anxiety. They have anxiety. Every child Mm -hmm. under the sun has anxiety. Whereas when I first started working, it was more the ADD, ADHD. Um, But definitely parents are so invested in getting this kind of diagnosis 
So I think because they don't want to say, oh, I'm a bad parent. No, it's not. I'm a bad parent. I just got a child with a mental illness. It's not anything I do. And it's interesting because I had a, there was a psychiatrist. Now, I didn't work with him, but he was in the community. And so sometimes when I met with people, they had taken their child to this psychiatrist. And this psychiatrist was fantastic because he always told the parents they needed to change their behavior. And all the parents didn't like him. Because they, wanted, they wanted to go to him and find out, oh, my child has anxiety or ADHD and here's the pill and this is going to fix it. Instead, he'd be like, OK, you need to do this type of parenting. You need to read these books. You need to change your parenting style. And they didn't like that. And I think that yeah. that just shows that, you know, those parents, they don't want to put that hard work in or they don't want children to be like how they're supposed to be as children. Oh, I just think we've really vilified the idea of children being active and and exuberant and enjoying life. And it's sad, like, that we would rather medicate these kids and just be like, oh, you know, my child has my child's the problem. They just can't can't cope with life. And yes, the anxiety is becoming huge. Like every child has anxiety. Let's give them antidepressants now and Ritalin. Let's see what's going to happen. I tell you, this whole anxiety thing just drives me crazy. But. ADD, ADHD, and anxiety all have things that you could do that are non-medical and no parents are interested in doing any of those things. So it's really interesting. Like here in New Zealand, we have a huge push for mindfulness and teaching the children how to meditate and how to deal with emotions like the socio-emotional education. Mm -hmm. So huge push for that. I want to skip down to like compete that competition in society. Oh, yes. I just couldn't believe how much these kids were using Adderall. So, of course, I was of the generation where people use drugs to check out, not check in. I thought that was like a great quote. And now they're using it all so that they can get good grades, be skinny and party. And Adderall allows them to do all that. I, I just thought that was crazy how much they're abusing it how widely spread it is like it's just common knowledge I know well look at how much we want to get our hands on it after watching this documentary like come on Michelle (laughs) exactly come on and for me like I work in the like I've said this a million times I work in education I see how absolutely cutthroat it is from you know preschool to university it is cutthroat there is so much competition and you know what guys it's not your kids competing against each other it's the parents driving the that competition and it's the parents putting that need to succeed in their kids minds and unfortunately as a society we have become so success motivated and and it's a very prescriptive version of success it has you have to be thin you have to make a lot of money you don't mm-hmm. have to be happy. Yeah. So, and of course, like we have all these high powered jobs where people need to be working, you know, 18 hours a day to be able to do what they're doing. Like those investment bankers, oh, people, you know, yeah. and like, why are we putting these unrealistic expectations on people? And then they only can do these jobs with performance enhancements. Yeah. I, I felt too. bad for them because. They're wanting to do well in their job, but like the guy was saying, you know, if somebody else sitting beside you was working 16 hours a day because they're taking Adderall and and you're not and you can't 
perform like that, you're the one who's going to be let go. Well, Adderall's the new cocaine. Like, before yeah. we had Adderall, people just did cocaine. Yeah. You know, like, that's, that's it's so true, though. And same with losing the weight. I loved Blue's uh, quote when he said Adderall made him the optimal capitalist. Like, you can line anything down and anything up and he'll knock it down. I just thought that was the perfect description. Yeah. Adderall makes you do anything. And at the end of the day, we have... We live in a society where success is so important and we just put these inhuman ideals on ourselves and expectations on ourselves. We're, we're supposed to do so much now and how else can you do it? You yeah. Know? Really? And then, it, and then they talked about how it's now coming in into pro sports. Oh and yeah. Which I was so shocked about. I was like, what? <laughs> I just found the football player's story interesting and getting that exemption so he could take it. But really, it was a performance-enhancing drug. Yeah. Ritalin 100% is the exact same thing as a steroid. And it's, like, everywhere. everywhere everyone knows about it. Yeah. And if you can just buy a diagnosis, how are we really preventing people from using it as a, a performance enhancer for their sport like I couldn't get over all the stuff he was talking about because I never thought it would increase your ability to work out or recover from workouts I never thought that Mm. that would but I guess you know if you're taking speed how like of course it's going to help you with everything I know but I hadn't thought about that either like I'm the same as you I had sort of put that together and it's interesting again with not having an easy way to diagnose somebody. And this is the problem with quite a few mental health issues. You're going by the person reporting the symptoms, the signs and the symptoms, right? So how do you know for sure somebody has ADHD or somebody has anxiety or somebody has depression, right? You're going all by what they're reporting, not necessarily an observation. Somebody's got psychosis or paranoia. You're going to see that a little easier, I think. But a lot of these diagnoses, it's not a clear definitive test. They're easy enough to fake. So, of course, I could walk into the doctor today and pretend I have ADD. But he's not going to give me a prescription. But, you know, in Canada, I think it's different. But, yeah, when you're in a public health system versus a paid health system, I think there's quite a few differences in how the system works. I have to say, like, this documentary really made me question whether or not ADD and ADHD even exist at all. But I've met some people in my life who I think they're like, okay, this is the poster child for ADD. They just can't focus. They're so, like, wound up. Like, you, could, you it's hard to describe if you haven't met, like, somebody like that. But I think there are some, but it's an ex- they have to be extreme. It's most kids don't behave 30% of the time. Well, and I wonder if, like, they're a product of their environment, if they were never taught or given those tools to learn how to focus their attention. Because, you know, like, there was that one woman uh, in the documentary, and she talked about how people with ADD and ADHD, their brains look different and work, di- work differently. And I'm like, there is no definitive science behind that. Like, Really, I want to see. And like, if they if they really could find that, yes. And I do understand there are people who have extreme situations. But I'm wondering if it's like if we had a system in place where we were teaching them how to focus at a young age, how to focus that extra energy, 
how to find those outlets if they were if they would be the same as they are as adults as opposed to just letting it go and I do understand there's like you know those one in a hundred thousand people which doesn't account for the 3.2 million children on Adderall today (laughs) no it doesn't account for that many that are on it now I think Mm. like you said is there are they a product in their environment I think to some extent, but I mean, I've certainly met some parents who are very on top of that and, you know, do what they need to do to try to make it easier for their child that has this, as opposed to just relying on medication. And I think that's a lot of the problems with any kind of mental health. People want to just rely on the medication. It's not just that that's going to fix. Yeah. You didn't want an easy fix. I would love an easy fix. No, yeah, me too. (laughs) And I couldn't get over the fact that they give the children those higher doses, like that um, Jasper, he was on 50 milligrams as a child when the the techie guy, he was like, oh, I was taking two to five and that was jet fuel. Yeah. And just the negative side effects, like, dude, your kid is on speed. Like, how is that healthy? I thought that study about Adderall versus the placebo was very Mm -hmm. interesting. And the only difference they found was that people felt their cognition was better on the medication versus off. And it didn't show any real difference. Yes. That's just self-perception. So again, you you could teach that. You could teach that mindfulness. I love when the doctor was saying that you put the children on the high dose of the Ritalin and they get like, they don't like it. They start getting anxious and they don't feel good, but yet adults, you put them on the same amount and they feel powerful. Like they feel like they can do anything. And I thought that comparison was just so batshit crazy. You know, it's like, And we are power-hungry people. If we weren't power-hungry people, we wouldn't be having this discussion about the illegal use of Ritalin and the desire to succeed and be the optimal optimal capitalist. Yeah, it is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what about when they first were doing, introducing Ritalin into the high school, into the school system, and they basically just went to that principal and were like, hey. I know. Hey, would you like to try this? And he's like, I just want something that'll calm the kids down. Like that mentality. <laughs> oh my goodness. That would know? pass any ethical review boards nowadays. Exactly. Which we is why we that. have them. Exactly. It's really hard. It's hard to deal with 30 kids that are on full blast at all times. But like at the same time, artificially altering their state so that they're not acting that way isn't isn't good for anyone no oh I just think that's crazy like don't have kids guys if you can't deal with it don't have kids yeah yeah exactly (laughs) I like that they brought up in the documentary the at the very end there they started talking about nootropics microdosing yeah I thought that was interesting Mm -hmm. so just in case the listeners don't remember or are a bit confused, uh, nootropics are compounds or supplements that enhance cognitive performance. And broadly, there are three categories of nootropics. The most effective are stimulant drugs such as Ritalin and Adderall, as well as non-stimulant, which is modafinil. But I bet you didn't realize this. There's heaps of things that 
are considered nootropics like caffeine, nicotine, ginkgo biloba, panax ginseng, um, creatine, that kind of stuff. So it's basically the idea of taking all these extra supplements and or you know it's just limitless basically come to life I was like hmm, I'm curious if this really works or if they just convince themselves but don't be fooled guys I was googling the shit out of that as soon as I finished watching it I was like okay maybe it wouldn't be so bad it just reminds me of all those tra- all those fads and the fad diets yeah. fad supplements things like that there is no real proven they say there is but uh, where are they getting their research i don't know did they do a penis study like they did in the game changer documentary um i think if you were maybe just taking natural supplements why not it's kind of like taking garlic and and um apple cider vinegar because you think it's going to make you lose weight and help your cholesterol cool yeah give it a shot if you want listeners let us know if you try any of these things yeah i'm curious too so microdosing is fascinating and we've been hearing about it for ages. Like it's been around for a while now, um, especially in the 21st century. So basically the idea is that you use a very small amount of psychotropic drug. So that could be mushrooms, peyote, um, ayahuasca, something like that. And you're taking a small amount so that it doesn't give you that full body experience. And it usually refers to the practice of taking at least a 20th or a 10th of a normal dose. So uh, the goal is to achieve positive results of the substance. So you're more focused, you have more energy, emotional balance without the negative. So hallucinations, sensory shifts, and other extreme um, experimental side effects that you would normally get. Like anyone who's eaten mushrooms probably knows what I'm talking about. I know like I've done microdosing in the past and pretty awesome you get like amount of buzz yeah I don't know I've I've eaten I've done it in the past I don't really want to admit I've I've heard of it but I I I've never done it I don't know anybody who's done it so well so it's just that you're taking like you're taking mushrooms or you're taking something and then it's like you're just not that high on the peaking chart you're just Mm -hmm. enough to be having a nice mellow high and you're still functioning which is great because like there's certain aspects of those drugs that can really really help you because it's helping increase productivity in some people altering your state of mind so you're more positive or happy and I know it's also being used uh, as a mental health therapy as well so as a way to you know you microdose and then you do your talk therapy and you talk about a lot of things that you wouldn't normally be willing to talk about or you're able to revisit traumas and it doesn't impact you as much and that's all experimental who knows if that's legit they're really studying it right now and I'm so excited well actually it's not a new thing it's just that those drugs were made illegal so it's not really a new thing it just it's a new old thing that they're kind of maybe maybe we fucked up making it illegal yeah (laughs) Yeah, we're revisiting the positives and people are microdosing on like things like um, MDMA. So like that. 
yeah. as well. And people are like microdosing on MDMA and then just finding like they enjoy playing with their kids more or they enjoy doing things that they wouldn't normally do. And they've got those higher sense of endorphins and uh, especially people who are depressed and having trouble integrating back into society, like kind of removes those inhibitions and, and helps with anxiety in some cases. So I'm really interested in seeing what happens. Uh, if anyone watches Working Moms, which is an amazing Canadian television, FYI, everyone should, uh, television show, but they do an episode where the main character microdoses for an advertising campaign. And it really, like, shows it quite well. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I was curious when they talked about society having shortened attention spans kind of the Instagram society, what you thought about that, because I certainly think there's a lot of truth in this. I think kids nowadays spend so much time on social media and very little time necessarily interacting with them. So I find it strange, you know, my generation, you know, I had when I had friends that had quite a few teenagers, their teenagers spent all their time with them, which I found bizarre, because I'll tell you, I would not have been wanting to be with my parents at a party with them when I was 15, 16 years old. There was no way. I was always out with my friends. But I remember I had a party one time and my friend came in and she was like, oh, you know, do you mind? My daughter really wants to come. Do you mind if she comes? Like she spends all her time with us. And I'm like, oh, all right. Like, But I'm thinking, okay, now I got to censor my language and, and watch what I say and not tell embarrassing stories about her parents in front of their daughter, right? But basically, she came and she sat in the corner all night texting her friends. And thinking, why do you even need to be here? Like, well, exactly. really? She and was 15. Just... She could be home by herself, right? But yeah. she wanted to come because she's always with her parents. They can't get rid of her. And I think that's a big thing, too, is like you were physically with you. Like, we, we both grew up. Like, I didn't have we didn't have cell phones until, you know, I was in high school and I wasn't ever allowed to get one. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to get my first cell phone until like I was 18. So, <laughs> and they were quite expensive. Yeah. Um, but basically like we grew up in the generation where you have to be with your friends if you want to spend time with them or you were talking on the phone, like having phone conversations. And I grew up without a cordless phone. So when I had yeah. to talk on the phone, it was attached to the wall in the kitchen or the living room. Everybody heard your conversation. Exactly. So, and I very much, like, I always spent time with my friends. I was always with my friends. And, <laughs> like, up until university. And, yeah, but now we are in a situation where you could be anywhere in the world and be talking to someone else anywhere in the world. And you, And I think we've lost that human connection. It's really bad. I think so, too. I, I really hate that whole thing. Like, why the younger generation is just on their phones all the time and they're not with their friends. And I also feel like they go so much into organized time together. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, they're on a sports team or they're on, um, you know, some group or the parents have arranged for them to have a play date. So it's not just like, you know, when I was growing up after Saturday morning cartoons, there was nothing else on. So you would just go out in the neighborhood and play with kids like 
very inorganic now. Yeah, you wouldn't know. My parents wouldn't necessarily know where I was. They just knew I was in the neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas you'd never have that now. Everybody would have to know where you are and be there with you. And oh my gosh, it's crazy. And there's so many studies coming out now that exposing your children to devices and to technology at a young age is really detrimental to their brain development. And they're not learning problem solving skills and they're not learning um, all those tactile hands on things that they need to be learning. Like kids are coming to school now and they're five, six years old. They don't know how to hold a pencil. Like they've never held a pencil before. They don't even know how to hold things. I am young. I grew up, you know, on the cusp of that technology. I didn't have it so much growing up. Like we really didn't have a computer so much like we did you know but I I definitely it's nothing compared to people who are 10 years younger than me their experiences but for me it's like even in my classroom I try and limit technology I try and limit device use and people think that's crazy basically in the teaching community considered like a Luddite because I don't believe that it's helping them learn and there's just too many things like because it's so fast paced and everything's coming at them and they only focus on that device and there's so much color and flashing and things like that. Like it's really preventing them from learning how to, you know, deal with boredom, learning how to deal with um, having to wait for things. So they are very instant gratification, which, you know, that is basically ADHD and ADD in a nutshell. Like we are giving these kids the reasons to, have these diagnoses by providing them with this high-paced, technology-drenched childhood. Yeah, it's really sad. And it's exposing them to things they don't need to be seeing. Like, oh my gosh, Instagram's just a, a black hole of diet culture and you know um the what success looks like and you know influencers hawking all this useless shit. Like it's a dangerous place it's hard to monitor that too I think if you're a parent if you're allowing your child to go online monitor monitoring what they're seeing or what they're doing on there it's difficult it is and like I don't want to say technology is horrible but at the same time like there needs to be a balance you know like you're not teaching your children how to be able to deal with their emotions how to deal with boredom I'm very worried about what our future is going to look like. Yeah. All right. Let's take a look at basically big pharma, you know, which is really kind of the root of all evil. You could go on and on about them. So of course, you know, like I said, in the timeline, they came up with this amphetamine, but they had to figure out how to make it a prescription. And now it's a $13 million industry. And they're always looking at how they can use medication in different ways. That's how they make the money, right? Of course. Yeah. And big profits, like you said earlier, for the doctors that use this medication, they've got various ways of making sure people are making money from it so that it continues to give the profits. I really want to Google this New Zealand Ritalin advertising. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's in the documentary. They mentioned that USA and New Zealand are the only countries that are allowed to advertise medication. And they guarantees better children with the medication, but they don't highlight the side effects or the long-term effects, right? Mm-hmm. I always find it interesting when I travel to the States, 
and you see so much medic um, advertisement for medication because we don't get that up in Canada like this. I know it was like that in Korea and all the plastic surgery advertisements, like yeah, yeah. diet, the diet culture. I've never felt so bad about myself in my life. Yeah. I just hate how much drugs are pushed so much, especially for mental health issues, like I said earlier, because medication's not the only treatment, but that tends to be all people go for. Well, and of course. It, and part of, course. of it is because it's not easy to get any free counseling. There's not a lot of options there for people, so it's hard to get access that if you are having a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And I do find, like, people want the, that quick fix. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's a big problem. Like no one wants to put in that hard work. I found it shocking when they said that adults are now the majority of the population taking prescription stimulants and the fastest growing segment of the ADHD market. Oh, 100%. I just actually did a quick Google search because I was interested about New Zealand's um, Ritalin use and it just said and it was an article from 2017 from the New Zealand Herald and it just said that adults make up 50% of the Ritalin users in the country crazy and it's just because they're using it for other reasons like I don't think it's legitimate use but I also don't feel like I could get some from my doctor if I went there and asked. yeah no I don't think so <laughs> I might try like you did though let's see yeah I need to know. lose a few pounds <laughs> So what did you think of the documentary overall? I just, I really liked it. It was so visually appealing to me. It was beautifully done. Like, I loved all the graphics that they did, how they presented it. Um, I thought it was very, very well done. Um, very, like, cutting edge and um, visual, yeah, just really visually appealing. <laughs> I thought it was great that they didn't just focus on ADHD in children, that they focused on what it is like for the adults and the fact that they're getting it to use it as a crutch for their job and their career, whether it's an athlete or the banker, right? So I found yeah. that really interesting and a nice perspective to bring into the documentary. I really enjoyed that as well, especially because neither of us knew about um, athletes using it and I didn't realize it was such a widely known thing um, yeah. so I really liked that and I also liked that for once they talked about the negative implications yes. and and just like we got to really hear from some parents and some parents had put their child on like and why they were putting them on it and how it was kind of like oh well you know we didn't do any research and we just did what we were told and it was just because our teacher told us everyone else has on Ritalin in the class, so why not put him on Ritalin? I yeah. just found that really shocking, and I hope people are more prepared consumers because there are so many awful negative side effects, which they talked about, and I really think that was brought to light because I never thought about long-term Ritalin use and what mm -hmm. it would do to you. Yeah. All the medication has some sort of side effect, right? Exactly. And the fact that, you know, you take too much and then you need something to help you calm down. Like, I think we don't really think about it. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, certainly, if you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share with your friends. And you can contact us on Instagram at docu underscore talk 
on Twitter at docu underscore talk and our email is docu.talk2 at gmail.com. Now we are getting to the summertime. So for the summertime, because we both have some vacation and plans and things have opened now up a little bit now with COVID. So we're going to change to every other week. So after this episode posts, we won't have another one for two weeks. And we'll remind people about that on our social media also. Um, So I hope that's okay with everybody. It makes it kind of hard when we both work full time to fit all this in. And hopefully we will have a bit of summer vacation. Well, it's my winter. We don't have any anything going on. Everything's back to normal in New Zealand. So I've been back to school and I still have a whole entire school year left. Yes. Exactly. So hopefully you guys understand. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, yes. Certainly follow us on social media and let us know what you thought of this documentary. Curious to see what you thought. Mm-hmm. And let us know if there's any documentaries you'd like to hear us review. It'd be great to get some suggestions. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.